Okay, let's open a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for this day. We pray that you'll uh, bless our time together today um, as we uh, engage in a time of remembrance and also um, looking at the uh, uh, the feasts of the Lord uh, and some of the timing uh, that relate to those feasts that are prophetic. And we pray that you'll uh, just uh, help us to learn from the things that are said here today. Uh, bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just so you know, the uh, I'm doing this at about 8 a.m. in the morning uh, because we have a special speaker today. We're going to do a little time of remembrance. It's the two-year anniversary of Pastor Steve's homegoing um, back in two, 2020. And so we're going to have a time of remembrance, first hour about that and some other things. And then um, we'll have a, a teaching on... Um, I think on Rosh Hashanah, <laughs> some of the feasts, the fall feast, and we know that these are prophetic. Uh, so just another thing on the schedule, next Sunday I'm also going to do my updated at 7.45 a.m. because we have a church picnic, and you know we don't want to make FBC people wait an extra hour to eat, hour and a half or whatever, how long I take. Uh, so we're going to do that picnic in the second hour, and so I'm going to do my update at 7.45 a.m. Also on Wednesday, the which I think is the 28th, uh, Tom Hughes and I uh, have the opportunity to do an interview uh, and live stream it with General Amir, Brigadier General Amir Avivi. He's a retired reserve IDF officer from Israel, and he has started an organization called IDSF, and it has a Hebrew name that I'm not going to try to pronounce, but... IDSF stands for Israel Defense and Security Forum, and I've been working with them a little bit, and we thought that we would try to help push out what their message is and what they're trying to accomplish. So Tom Hughes and I are going to live stream an interview with him at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Uh, 11 p.m. 11 a.m. Pacific Time. I know it will live stream on the Hope for Our Times YouTube channel. It may also live stream on FBCs. If not, we'll put it up on FBC as soon as we can get a copy of it. I'm going to try to live stream it, but it's a little bit, um, it doesn't always work quite the way that I would want, especially since I don't know what I'm doing. Um, there's a little program you have to get, and I just haven't been able to tweak it to get it to work right with uh, recording doing a live stream with somebody else on Zoom or whatever we're going to use. But anyway, 2 p.m. Eastern on the 28th, 11 a.m. Pacific, uh, Tom Hughes and I will be interviewing General Amir Avivi. And we're going to talk about some of the things that are going on in Israel. Well, here's the title for today. Have I mentioned the idea of convergence? Because it really was one of these weeks where it seemed like Everywhere I looked, there was a talk that I could do. And the talk, I mean, it could have been an hour, hour and a half, two hours on just about everything that I saw. So I'm going to try to encapsulate that so I get done in time for everybody to get in here and get seated for church that starts at 9.30. I'm under strict instructions from my superior, um, Pam, to be sure that I'm done in time for everybody to get in and get a seat and 
So we can start at 9.30 sharp. So I'm well aware of that. Here's some uh, places that we're at. YouTube, Facebook, Vimeo, Rumble, Real, Real FBC. I've noticed <laughs> we don't like YouTube because there's some things that we just don't talk about because we want to protect the Bible teachings and things that we have on YouTube. So there is some self-censoring that goes on. And, but YouTube is the best platform. I mean, it's it's it all, almost always works. Rumble, I noticed this week, has had just a tremendous amount of trouble, and the search function doesn't work right. So if you just look for Real FBC, and you can finally see Real FBC, all one word, and click on that, you should be able to get to our Rumble channel. And we do live stream on Rumble. We live stream on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, and then... Uh, my videos are reposted at RTN TV. There's an app for that. And then we also live stream at Fellowship Bible Chapel app. And um, you can also get download that for your uh, Android or Apple phone. And you can watch that. So, again, uh, we talk about this, as I've mentioned already, this convergence of events. And everything seems to be just happening uh, very quickly. And... As I've talked to a lot of people, I mentioned this, I don't know if it was somebody I was doing an interview with, and I meant, I think it was Tom Hughes, and I mentioned, you know, um, it seems like, you know, everybody says there's 40,000 denominations. I don't think that's true, unless you are talking about eschatology, then there's at least 40,000, if not more, because... Everybody has a different opinion, and I see books coming out all the time. This week was the Feast of Trumpets. A lot of people think that the rapture um, of the church will happen on a Feast of Trumpets. Uh, and then the question is, which Feast of Trumpets? And then is there a gap before this last period of history, which some call the Tribulation? I don't think that's a good biblical term to use. Uh, I Or the 70th week. Certainly we know there's this last three-and-a-half-year period, and so then the question is, where is the rapture in that? And there's a lot of argument and discussion about that, and everybody's got an opinion. So I just encourage people to study the Word um, and not just regurgitate something that you've heard me or anybody else say, because it is it can be a complicated issue. And then how, does all of, how do all these Bible prophecies fit together? Because you've got... You know, some in Isaiah, some in Ezekiel, some in uh, Daniel, a lot in Daniel. You got Revelation, you got Thessalonians, you got Matthew 24, Luke 21. Um, and by the way, somebody asked a question. I did a teaching on the Olivet Discourse. I actually think there were two Olivet Discourses. I think the one in Luke was uh, different than the one in Matthew 24. It was, it was done around the same time. But it, it's a little bit different because of the description in how it goes. So we talk about this, the acceleration, convergence, logistics, and understanding. And as we get closer to things, we're going to have a better idea, a clearer picture of what's going to happen. So I use this verse all the time. Um, and I heard, but I understood not, this Daniel chapter 12, verse 8. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And Daniel's just written chapter after chapter after chapter about all these different visions that he's had, uh, some which show a pattern of near-term, you know, in the next 
couple hundred years of Gentile history, but also talking about, it also inserts these phrases within these passages of Daniel, like, um, and this is at the time of the end. So sometimes we just say, well, this was a, a prophetic at the time, then it was fulfilled, and we don't have to worry about it anymore. But we know that Jewish prophecy has this pattern thing. It recapitulates. And so then we argue about, okay, is this one going to be re, going to be done? Was this one fulfilled? Is it going to happen again? Uh, so anyway, so he says, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go thy way, Daniel, for thy words are closed up, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Uh, and I don't have time today to go into some things that I would uh, talk about that I would like to talk about. I will do a midweek this week on the things that I don't get to today, which probably will be uh, numerous, because um, there is a bit of a deep dive into something that I want to do at the beginning, but then we also have to talk about the fact that you know people are talking about potentially world war, <laughs> uh, nuclear war. I mean, it's it's not like... There was a lot that happened this week. Uh, but Daniel chapter 7, I think you should read that because it may be talking about some of the things that we see going on with this potential war in Asia and Europe. It's, um, you know, it's, when the, when the disciples were with Jesus, he said, you know, at the time of his first coming, the prophets, they longed to see the day that you're actually seeing these things happen. And I think that's probably true of us. We should be glad that we're seeing these things happen. That doesn't mean we have to like them, uh, because there's, I'm afraid, a lot of suffering that's coming in the world. And so let's just look at a few things. So the markets are in just absolute turmoil. Uh, they continue to fall. Uh, somebody said my uh, 401k is now, you know, a 200.5k, um, and I, <laughs> I, I share that pain. It's hard to know what to do. There are, you know, housing now. I, I'm supposed to talk to a realtor in California. I've not had time to do it yet, and she just said that she is seeing things that she's just never seen. Um, now. What does that mean? Uh, people are buying down mortgages because the housing values have fallen and the banks won't make the loans and mortgage rates have gone up. Now there's some thinking that here in central Ohio, <coughs> we might be protected because you know we have this big Intel plant and all this construction going on out in New Albany for the big tech companies. Intel's building the largest chip plant in the world. The initial investment is $20 billion. They're uh, saying that they're going to actually spend $100 billion out there to construct plants. Uh, you know, now, that assumes that the Lord doesn't come back and that other things don't unwind, but that will have a big impact uh, and maybe protect us a little bit here in central Ohio. We certainly hope so, right? Not that we're, we don't care about you people elsewhere, but, uh, you know, move to central Ohio and then everybody will be happy here. So this is a, the currencies are just absolutely insane. Uh, 
the the dollar is way up, uh, the ruble is up, the British pound is down. It, I mean, I can remember when we went to the UK a couple years or four years ago, I guess it was now, that um, the pound was used to think it was about two dollars. You know, uh, a British pound would cost you two dollars. Uh, it used to cost you more. You know, you. It, it, but the dollar's up now, and so I saw the British pound on the Financial Times the other day is a dollar nine. Uh, that has a huge impact. That helps us in a way because it makes it cheaper for people to buy our goods, assuming we're making anything. Um, but so this, this the economy is just in a complete state of turmoil. Crypto has has crashed. There's talk about it coming back. Uh, and even though it crashed, it didn't go to zero. It's above what it was at one point. So people are saying, well, get crypto. And I'm not making any advice on anything. By the way, if, if I knew exactly what was going to happen, I would be doing this from, you know, my villa on a golf course somewhere uh, where it's warm all the year, all year round. Uh, and I'm not, so you know that I don't know exactly what's going to happen. Uh Politically here in the United States, there are there is a tremendous amount going on. Uh, they are, as you know, they are coming after President Trump and all of his allies with a vengeance. There have been over 40 people subpoenaed uh, in connection with various aspects of uh, lawyers and other people that have served in the Trump administration. The current regime that's running the Department of Justice and the FBI don't care about things like attorney-client privilege. Um, it's, it's so bad that Alan Dershowitz, who's no right-winger by any stretch of the imagination, he is a lib classic liberal. Uh, he likes the Constitution. He likes the guarantees of the Constitution. And he's representing uh, Mike Lindell, who was subpoenaed as he was going through a drive-thru in Mankato. And it's interesting when these stories come up. So Lindell gets subpoenaed, or a warrant served on him, and they take his phone in Minnesota, near where he lives. And he, he runs his business off his phone. He has a successful business. And whenever things are posted now, people say, I prove it. I don't believe it's true. I don't believe Okay, well, here's Mike Lindell saying that that happened to him. And that, and by the way, by talking about someone like Mike Lindell and being concerned about what happened to Mike Lindell or President Trump doesn't mean I support everything that they stand for. But there's a bigger picture here. If they're coming for them, they're going to come for you eventually. That's the point that you need to keep in mind. So we're going to talk a little bit about some politics today um, because there's political shifts going on all over the world, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But here's an interesting decision. Texas enacted a social media law, and essentially what the, the Texas law says is that big tech cannot censor uh, content, except in very rare cases. So the big tech challenged that. So there was, a, I think, a Florida case that said, yeah, big tech can do whatever they want. You can, they're a private company. You can't control them. But they get all these benefits from Section 230 about they couldn't be sued. So they, but they're weaponizing particular viewpoints, and they're taking down opposing viewpoints that they don't like. And they've really become like a public utility. 
So the Fifth Circuit issued an opinion, and uh, as you can see in this opinion, so this statute in Texas came up before the court, and the court said this, in urging such sweeping relief, the platforms author a rather raw, odd inversion of the First Amendment. That amendment, of course, protects every person's right to the freedom of speech, but the platforms argued that buried somewhere in the person's enumerated right to free speech lies a corporation's unenumerated right to muzzle speech. The implications of the platform's argument are staggering. And immediately they said, well, that's a Trump-appointed judge. I mean, he's just doing Trump's... And I don't think Trump... Nobody called up Trump and said, hey, how should I rule on this particular case? On the platform's view, email providers, mobile phone companies, and banks could cancel the accounts of anyone who sends an email, makes a phone call, or spends money in support of a disfavored political party, candidate, or business, or viewpoint. Um, this week, uh, a company, an organization that I would not support, it's called Gays Against... Um, something about gender identity and transgender surgery. PayPal took down their account, removed their ability to get any money to do anything because they, they came out against PayPal's, what PayPal likes is kids being, I don't know how you say it differently, kids being mutilated. And so this company is against that. Oh, Gays Against Grooming, I think that's the name of the group. PayPal took them down. There were other groups that are also against this transgender ideology that seems to permeate everything. They were taken down by pay PayPal. So this case came to the Fifth Circuit, and the Fifth Circuit in its conclusion, the lower court, by the way, when they saw what was in the Texas law, they issued an injunction against the enforcement of this law or the application of this law. Now, to get an injunction at a lower court, and I've done hundreds of injunction cases, you have to show a likelihood of success on the merits. And that's always a dif difficult one to do because you'd have to convince the judge you're going to win. And so you should get the relief right now. So they did in the lower court. And the Fifth Circuit said, in a two-to-one decision, said, nope. We're reversing the lower court. Now, how is that reported? You go to the New York Times, Washington Post, the mainstream media, this, a divided court struck down the right of free speech. That's not what happened. Okay, they applied the law and they thought the law was applied. So they says, today, the court said, the two that voted for it, today we reject the idea that corporations have a free, free willing First Amendment right to censor what people say. Because the district court held otherwise, we reverse this injunction and remand for further proceedings. So, big win. So, what's going to happen? You have 11th Circuit saying, yeah, this law is, a law like this is bad in Florida. You've got the 5th Circuit saying, I think I've got the, the circuits right. The circuits are in conflict. So, what happens when the circuits are in conflict? That's a time when you maybe get the case heard in the Supreme Court. There are thousands and thousands of cases that are filed to be reviewed by the Supreme Court every year. And the Supreme Court will take about 150. 
So I was a lawyer for 42 years. I had a couple writs of certiorari that I worked on to try to get a case reviewed by the United States Supreme Court, and they failed. So I've never been in the Supreme Court to argue a case. It's rare. It's very rare. This may be one because of the implications of it, and that's one of the things you always – I had a First Amendment case. I tried to make it a First Amendment case, but the court just said, "Eh, you know, the the state court ruling will stand. We're not going to review it. So maybe this this will be done. And then now everybody's starting to count the justices. Are they going to hit going to be a 5 to 4 decision maybe? Which way is Kavanaugh going to go? I think Barrett's going to work work with the Alito Thomas uh conservative group and Gorsuch, they're pretty much a lock to do conservative things. People think that now Kavanaugh and Barrett and Justice uh, Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, we can never trust him for anything. Now, except maybe major disappointment. So, anyway, just want to keep an eye on that. Um, this is an interesting report from Politico. Now, Politico is, I would call it, a center-left organization. Uh, they had a report, by the way, this week on uh, people who help fund uh, certain state-approved treatment for a certain health problem. You should go look it up. It's eye-opening. It's what a lot of people, I have friends who were writing about it two years ago, about who is behind this. And so you need, I'm not going to go into it anymore because of the, the problems with uh, YouTube. But here's Politico. They Now Visa is going to track gun purchases. Now, how did this come about? There's a bank called Amalgamated Bank. It's, it is controlled by unions. The unions don't like the Second Amendment. So they uh, went to Visa, and they went to the International Standards Organization, the ISO, and they said, uh, well, here's what it said. Earlier this month, Amalgamated Bank, a union-owned institution that's become a go-to bank for Democratic campaigns, successfully petitioned an international standard-setting body to adopt a new merchant code for gun stores. Credit card companies had resisted those efforts for years. Uh, But after the ISO uh, signed off on it, the companies say they had to comply with it. So Visa came out, and people were saying, Visa, what are you doing? This is going to be harmful to people's Second Amendment rights. So Visa decided to issue a statement initially, and this is what they said. (coughs) We do not believe private companies should serve as moral arbiters. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Right. Asking private companies to decide what legal products or services can or cannot be bought and from what store sets a dangerous precedent. Please send this memo to PayPal, I would say. Further, it would be an invasion of consumers' privacy for banks and payment networks to know each of our most personal purchasing habits. Visa is firmly against this. But now they're going along with it because they said, well, the ISO says we have to track this and there's a code. And you know where this is going. You know that there's people uh, like this lawsuit. I think I, uh, Letitia James she campaigned on the fact, I'm going to sue Trump. I'm going to go after Trump from the day I get in office. So she was elected a few years ago, 
And after three years of investigation, she doesn't bring criminal charges. She brings civil charges. Most legal authorities that I would respect have looked at this and said, this lawsuit is bogus, it's frivolous, but she's running for re-election. She's not doing very well in the polls. And so, oh, magically, here comes a lawsuit against Donald Trump. And the, the goal of it is to bar him from ever doing business in New York and to have him to pay civil fines of like $250 billion, which is more than any multi-billionaire on earth happens. So this is part of a democratic policy of lawfare. Now, where did the term lawfare originate? It originated because Muslim groups were suing people who opposed the jihadi agenda. So they would sue people. And a lot of times they were frivolous. Well, you got to hire a lawyer. you got to spend money on a lawyer. And listen, where I come from in my world, we like it when people spend money on lawyers. It's a really good thing. But it bankrupts people, and they can't afford to do it. I mean, I've had, I don't know how many lawsuits I've been involved in where eventually the, the client will say something like, we got to get, get this over with because I have a business to operate, and I just can't keep dumping cash into this lawsuit, even though I know I'm eventually going to win. It is a problem. So this is what the, so this is called lawfare, and they're trying to do it. And you're going to see in the weeks and months ahead, you're going to see lawsuits against mainly conservatives by left-wing organizations with specious, frivolous, weak claims that the conservative groups are going to have to spend money on in court. And it, the, the goal of it is to bleed them out of money. Understand that a lot of these left-wing NGOs got billions of dollars spread throughout their net, their spending network by the financial settlements that occurred during the first two Obama administrations. Now they have the money to prosecute these lawsuits. And they have some rich people that will do it. So I, it's just, you need to understand this is um, a problem. Now, I don't have a lot of time to um, go into this today. This is a picture of an algorithm. Algorithms are a big deal. I'm working up sort of a mashup of things that Yuval Harari has said. I, I will tell you, if you go to YouTube and you just type his name in, you're going to get hundreds of videos, hundreds and a lot of them will be from places like Google. I've played the clip many times, and he went to Google in 2015 after he had come out with one or two of his books, which have sold over 40 million copies. That's a big deal. There's not many guys who come out with two books and sell 40 million copies. He's very popular. When he went to the Davos World Economic Forum in 2018, he was the most popular speaker among the elites that were gathered there in Davos, Switzerland. And he talked about algorithms. An algorithm to him, an algorithm is almost godlike. So he goes to Google back in 2015, played the clip many times, and he says, I love coming to Silicon Valley because it is here 
that the religions that will control humanity in the 21st century are being created. Understand that what is going on is a spiritual battle. And when you get into things like transhumanism and um, those sorts of things that are they're being pushed by the elites, these things, there is a spiritual battle going on. And understand that the transgender agenda is part of this. Because if we can get people to question their gender, we can get them to do anything to change the basic code of life and humanity. Now, this has Tower of Babel and end time stuff written all over it. I will refer you again to the presidential uh, President Biden's on September 12th came out with this document on biotechnology. Um, and they had a, a big conference a couple days later at the White House. They've appointed a lady, I'll talk about her in just a moment, as head of their new agency that they developed that will be under the executive branch. And this is a picture of it, Advancing Biotechnology and Biomanufacturing Innovation for a Sustainable, Safe, and Secure American Bioeconomy. If I was ranking things that I've seen happen over the last couple of weeks, this would be right up there tied for number one. This is a very big deal. I'm going to talk about it just a little bit here. It's interesting. I, this is in the Federal Register, and if you go there, you get a statistic. So when I got up this morning and opened up my computer in this document, so I was up at 2.15 a.m., yes, it said there have been 7,858 views. Now, I want that number to change. So you can go to the Federal Register. You can type in that name. I, I want a million people to see this document and to understand the implications, or a million people to watch this because I'm going to talk about it in just a moment. So here it says this um, at the beginning when they do it in, in part one. It is the policy of my administration to coordinate a whole-of-government approach <coughs> to advance biotechnology and biomanufacturing towards innovative solutions in health, climate change, energy, food, security, agriculture, supply chain resilience, and national and economic security. This is what the Biden administration does on everything. When they put out a directive about trying to get people registered to vote and to control the voting process, which is not really a federal function, by the way. Do you know that under the Constitution? It's left to the states. Biden deputized 600 federal agencies to do that. So conservatives like Molly Hemingway, who's over at the Federalists now, and others have filed Freedom of Information Acts. Hey, what are you doing to further the executive order that you issued on the election? Uh, well, uh, we'll get back to you, you know, like early next year after the election to let you know. Maybe. We really can't find anything. They're lying. They lie. They open their mouth. They lie. I'm sorry. There's just no other way to say it. It's easier for them to lie than it is for you to breathe. So it's a whole of government approach. And so now... 
They're doing it with elections. They're doing it with energy, climate policy, and now they're saying biotechnology. Uh, and so they've issued some things, and they're, they're going to do um, and when you the fact sheets, and they had a telephone conference, and you can find that online. We're talking about this is going to be uh, for culturing meat. That's part of this. What you eat. This thing is a whole of government approach to everything in your life. And so what they've done, so here's another, this is the money quote. Although the, uh, um, although the power of these technologies is most vivid at the moment in the context of human health, biotechnology and biomanufacturing can also be used to achieve our climate and energy goals improve food security and sustainability, secure our supply chains, and grow the economy across all of America. It should say control, but this is the money quote. We need to develop genetic engineering technologies and techniques to be able to write circuitry for cells and predictability, uh, predictably program biology in the same way in which we write software and program computers, unlock the power of biological data, including through, uh, including through computing tools and um, art, artificial intelligence, and advance the science of scale-up production while reducing the obstacles for, for commercialization so that innovative technology and products can reach markets faster. And so there, those, I mean, understand this. I, we just went through this with this health issue, right? They want to remove obstacles to commercialization of things. You have had a preview over the last three years almost now of what they intend to do. And it's going to be a whole-of-government approach to whole-of-life. Now, when we look in Revelation 13 and we see this Mark of the Beast technology and that type of thing. We don't exactly know how this plays out. I am telling you now, though, that today, as I stand here and talk to you, that ability, whatever it's going to end up being, is more at the door than ever. Now, we know that that's coming after the abomination of desolation will be implemented, but it's not going to be developed and implemented overnight. Satan's working on it now so that it's ready to go at a moment's notice, when that moment takes place, the abomination of desolation. Spoken of by Jesus, by Daniel, by Paul, that's a seminal event. And it is after that that this mark is implemented. But it's... This is what I talk about. Logistics, convergence, that type of thing. It has to be ready to go. So I don't know that it's completely ready to go yet, but look at this. So they're going to write circuitry for cells and program biology in the same way we write software and program computers. Because DNA is software. It's the most incredible software ever created. And it can only be created by a creator. And it's in every cell. 
and I forget how many miles if you strung, you know, if you unwound what's in your cell, it would be miles long. And it replicates all the time. And what they want to do through CRISPR technology and that type of thing is they want to change that. Now, this is Tower of Babel, Mark of the Beast type stuff, in my opinion. And look, I'm not against medical advances. I have four artificial joints. That allows me to function. It also sets off the metal detectors when I walk in the door at the courthouse, but they light up like a Christmas tree, but that's beside the point. The guy says, oh, you know, <laughs> they always say when I go in, the sheriff's up and go, I, so I have an artificial joint. He goes, oh, I, a, I said I have four artificial Oh, I, the machine won't even recognize that. And I get like a foot away from the machine and all the lights and everything are going off. And I said, see, I told you. So, so what did they do when they started the thing? They, they developed a, corporate, uh, a new corporation called ARPA-H, A-R-P-A-H. And they appointed this lady, Dr. Renee Wegerson. She had been the vice president of business development at Jinko Bioworks. And here you see, she, this is her card from speaking at a Global Health Security 22, 2022 uh, conference in Singapore in late June, early July this year. And here, this is kind of an interesting, this is just sort of a, this is what the Jinko Works um, homepage looks like. This is who she used to work for. And you can see what they're, they're about, right? They're about altering cells, biotechnology, biology by design. So she did a, a talk this week um, on the 21st. She talked at the National Science Advisory Board for Biosecurity. Now she's transitioning to head up this new federal research and everything that's started by uh, Biden, she worked for DARPA. I showed you a video last week of DARPA. They were talking about implanting a chip so it could track people's temperature. Well, it's not going to just track their temperature. It's going to track everything. And she worked for DARPA, and her, tech, her specialty was biotechnology, CRISPR, and research. And you're going to hear a term that she uses in her research that she is fully in favor of. And it starts with, it's a three-word phrase, it starts with gain, and then there's a middle phrase, and then it ends with function. This is who's in charge now. Understand? So this is, so what you do is you take her, you take uh, sort of one part propaganda nanny, you know, who's not with the government anymore, and you throw in the mad scientist part. And this is who the Biden administration is forcing on us. So here's just a, a minute or so of what she had to say at the Zoom call the other day. Examples, but I, I think the perspective that I bring here is, is really, we're ushering in the century of engineered biology, whether it's through gene editing or it's through engineering of living medicines that will be in our gut uh, or in soil to, to promote you know, fertilization and, and growth, especially as we face challenges like climate change. And so if we are ushering in that century of engineered biology, these frameworks are going to quickly become obsolete if we also 
aren't creating the definitions and the governance around these emergent capabilities and their potential for dual use. I'll give a few examples of, of ways that I, I think we can start to, to lean into the framework and, and, and bring these uh, technologies to life. So discussing alternative governance approaches to managing research that poses a threat, there's going to be a, a few really specific examples, and one is just uh, this analysis of alternatives. And so the P3CO guidance, um, a part of it that I, I think is, is underutilized today is you know, uh, looking at is there a feasible, um, equally effective alternative method to address the same question? And I think it's easy to think about a, a, an experiment that could be a gain of function, for example, and say it's, it's going to be really hard to, to recreate that um, without actually doing that experiment. But I, I would I would challenge uh, that statement, and I, I think. I think if we look at what those gain-of-function experiments are intended to do, what questions are they meant to, to answer about the physiology and pathogenicity? Okay, so do you understand? We're, we're going to bring these technologies what? Bring these technologies to life. What does she mean by that? She means far more than just getting it ready to go. She talked about that experiments to show gain of function and it's like people think you can just do that on paper or computer simulation and she seems to be saying to me we need to do the actual experiment on that isn't that not what she said and we need to do the definitions and all of this stuff so i stand by what i said one part propaganda nanny, and eight parts mad scientist, and you have the director of this thing called ARPA-H. And so she's weaponizing, what she wants to do is weaponize pathogens. Um, she talked about this is the century of technology, the 21st century, leading the government response to the danger of the industry. And She's leading the government response to what she mentions are dangers in the industry that she used to work for. There seems to be a bit of a conflict of interest here. She's one of the leading advocates for genetic engineering in the world. I think Joe Allen was talking about this uh, the other day, and he said, uh, to, to say, he was talking about we're moving into a very dark time. And I would say, that's Joe, that's probably an understatement. Uh, so this transhumanism, technocracy, you're going to see it come out. This is a map of where countries are uh, in terms of uh, the, the sort of, um, I don't know, I'm not really good with colors, names. Uh, sort of the, kind of the pinky shoe ones are the ones where they've actually launched digital currencies, uh, the light blue or where they're or the blue where they have pilots and then the research and development are in 26 countries including the united states but they're getting to roll out these central bank digital currencies these are going to be programmable what are they going to be programmable with they're going to be programmable with all kinds of things it's going to be um <laughs> you had two stakes this week you're you're not going to be able to buy them at the store for like four months and it'll be programmed into your digital currency 
Somebody sent me something from the UK said that the paper money, you have like a week to use it. It's, it's insane. Now, the World Economic Forum on September 11th also published this. It's, it's called My Carbon. Our world is transforming big community trends for sustainable cities. And look at this. There have been significant development developments in the last five to seven years on social, environment, and technology fronts that could help realize My Carbon initiatives for shaping the future towards smart and sustainable cities. So whenever you bring this up, World Economic Forum, you'll, you'll go there, and there'll be a disclaimer. Don't get involved in conspiracy theories at, you know, that talk about what we're actually going to do because, well, we're, you're not supposed to talk about it. Just let us do our work. So they have three things that they say there have been significant developments in the last five to seven years that are helping us on the path towards developing a carbon footprint that you're going to be allowed to have. And it's going to be programmable, and you'll see why and what in just a moment. But what would be the first thing that's happened in the last three years? And I'm not going to say the word, but you're going to see what, what's happened over the last three years that might help them in that endeavor. It was the test of social responsibility. A huge number of unimaginable restrictions for public health were adopted by billions of citizens across the world. There were numerous examples globally of maintaining social distancing, masks, state-approved treatments, acceptance of contact tracing applications, which demonstrated the core of individual social responsibility. In other words, if you went along with everything, you're socially responsible. If you question it, you're not. Do you see what just happened? They admitted it. They have this circular economy thing, and so they come in, and so here's the next one. This is World Economic Forum. Klaus Schwab, Great Reset, The Great Narrative, and the fourth, well, his first book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution. And so here's what they say. Fourth Industrial Revolution Technology Breakthroughs. Advances in emerging technologies like AI, blockchain, and digitization can enable tracking personal carbon emissions. Wait a minute. Tracking your personal carbon emissions? Yeah. They're tracking everything, my friends. And so when someone comes along and wants to track allegiance to his system, they'll just, you know what they'll do? They'll just go flip a little digital switch, and everything will be there. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you that, and I don't know how exactly it will be implemented. I'm just telling you here, I'm telling you that the technology is there, and it will be ready to go. And it's never been ready to go like this in human history. The Bible tells us it will be implemented now, the Bible doesn't tell us how close, you know, how, how far down the road they're going to be when they flip that last little switch. I'm telling you, everything I see is they're further down the road than we really want to admit. And that ought to, ought to wake church people up and say, you know, I think I have some church stuff to do, like evangelize, 
people, share the gospel, disciple people, prayer, armor up, the armor of God, the whole series of things there, the belt of truth. Get familiar with that. Uh, the World Economic Forum Scale 360 initiative demonstrates, you see this Scale 360? Demonstrates the use of fourth industrial revolution technologies across the whole life cycle of products and services. There have been major advances in smart home technologies. I did an interview with Pablo at Serpents and Doves Offhand podcast this week, and I think two days before he did Eric Barger, our friend Eric Barger, and Eric's been talking about um, uh, for several years now the home invasion that's taking place with the things that we bring into our homes that implement all of these technologies. So like it says, the rollout of smart meters and providing individual choices. I think that's kind of funny, haha. Yeah, individual choices, like in Colorado a couple of weeks ago when it was hot and they said, um, you're not allowed to adjust your thermostat for the next 24 hours. We'll, we'll let you know when you can use your thermostat again for the electricity that you pay for. And then they have the audacity to say individual choices to reduce their energy-related emissions, the development of new personalized apps to account for personal admissions. And so here they have in this brochure, they have all these different apps. They have a cool YouTube video that shows the apps. You can track how much carbon you're using each day. You just put in, I mean, it's going to take a lot of time to do. you got to put in what you're doing, what you ate. And then it's giving you a score. It's a social credit score. This is all this ESG stuff that I've been talking about. And then the last thing that they talk about is raised awareness and ownership for nature and environment. 80% of citizens say they are willing to change. And so when you go to the World Economic Forum strategic intelligence thing, like you look up climate change and it'll take you through different things. The social cost of carbon. You see how this is all very integrated, related, worked on, developed, rolling out. You know, I, I forget when it was. I think it was three years ago. I first mentioned this in uh, April. I think it was April first. I did a video on it. Of I think it was 2019. Did a midweek. I think it was the first midweek one I ever did. Uh, in, investing in climate action, transitioning to clean energy. And then you go to the fourth industrial revolution, which is on that prior page, and you have all these different things that you can do, technology innovation, mobilizing a sustainable development, mobilizing action, making societies, societies inclusive, uh, pathways to equality. You see how they, they tie in ESG, environment, social, and governments? It's, it's all sort of interrelated, and it comes under sustainable development, and they talk about 2030 all the time. Here's the Denmark. They're planning on a quantum leap in life sciences. There's a lot going on. Look at the buildings out there on Beach Road in New Albany. One of those is going to be totally dedicated to artificial intelligence. What do you think they're going to be doing out there? Uh, metaverse videos? So Joe Allen has a great article. Uh, I would highly recommend that you go get it. It's called Synthetic Salvation, Our Genomics, Mind Uploads, and the Quest for Immortality. 
Uh, and you can get that at jobot.substack.com. Uh, let me just read you a paragraph of this. Uh, fear of death is intimate to human life. As our years accumulate, we watch friends and family drop off one by one, disappearing from our presence and lingering only in memories. Barring some miracle, divine or otherwise, we're all soon to follow down to the sweetest baby ever born. Unfazed by this horror, the faithful are emboldened by belief in resurrection or reincarnation, a direct participation in the eternal. For religious people, the body is just a vehicle for a transcendent soul. The mystery of death is a rite of passage. But for the materialist, there is only this world beyond which the dying meet total annihilation. The brain dissolves into black nothingness. Consciousness stops with the big zero at the end of our lives. And now they want to change this. Go read this article. Think through the theological implications. I think Joe Allen was raised Southern Baptist. And he's thinking about these issues. Patrick Wood talks a lot about it, too. I think Pablo also did a couple hours with Patrick Wood and Eric Barger last week. So go look up Serpents and Doves if you want to listen to the podcast I did. But listen to Patrick Wood and those guys, because they're, and, and Eric, they're people who should be listened to on this topic. I mean, there's a lot of us talking about it, um, but you need to be ready for it. Um, and he talks about the third method is to attain a quasi-eternal life is basically the digital side of bio, bio, bionic continuity. Rather than or in addition to replacing neurons with artificial neurons, the mind will gradually be gradually uploaded to a computer where the patterns of one's personality can be entombed in perpetuity. And some people have this view. This is Jared Kushner being interviewed a couple weeks ago. Well, I don't have the video. Here's what he said. I think either I or my son's generation will be the first to live forever. <laughs> What's the old saying? Well, there's two sayings. You can't make this up. Because nobody would believe it. If you wrote in a book and said in 2022, you know, 20 years ago you wrote a book. If three or five years ago you wrote a book and say, there are going to be people who used to be an advisor to the president talking about living forever. You say, you can't, make, you, just, you can't make up stuff like that. Nobody will believe you. And then the other phrase is that I've used and others have used, what, what did you think the end times were going to look like? So here's a project. It's called the Methuselah Project, making the 90, the new 50 by... By 2030. There's 2030 again. Why is everything 2030? Is there something tied into this? Now, that's a rhetorical question. I think you all know deep down about this. We incubate and sponsor mission-relevant ventures, fund research, and support projects and prizes to accelerate breakthroughs in life. Now, I don't have time to go into this. this is, there's a lot of stuff going on in the transgender space. This uh, Tavistock Center, there's a thousand families suing them for what they did. Um, this is Christopher Roof. I will include this in my midweek update. This is a tweet of his the other day. The National Teachers Union LGBTQ Plus Caucus 
has created a website and badge for public school employees that promote a how-to guide for different types of sex. They're talking to your children about this. Oh, where are they doing it? According to local news reporting, the NEA and its local affiliate in Hilliard, Ohio, have been providing staff in the Hilliard City School District with the QR code-enabled badges, which point to the NEA LGBTQ plus caucus website. And here's a picture of that website. Go up to the top. Sex education resources. Um, if, you, if you went to a kid and talked to them about this stuff, you would be arrested. Well, maybe not. Just put a badge with a QR code on it at a school. This is happening locally here in Columbus, Ohio, my friends. It's crazy. And, then, and of course, you bring us up and they say, oh, you're just, you're a hate group. And, you know, so there's all this, this is a great article at uh, Alex Newman. Uh, a great, I've been on his show, good Christian guy, young guy. I think he's like 38 or 39. I, it's, he's young enough to be my kid. If I had a kid later, many years after I was married, um, the sharp young guy, got five kids. Um, UN Education Agency launches war on conspiracy theories. And UNESCO. I mean, if they haven't done enough damage, now they have a, a big publication called Addressing Conspiracy Theories. And guess what? It's part of the global education agenda. Oh, no, it's the 2030 agenda again. I'm just, they're beating it into me. The 2030 might be important. So uh, we talk about this. This is um, talking about the summit dinner last night. Energy problems. Europe is picking up LNG, and now emerging nations are starved of gas. They're starved of gas. They're starved of fertilizer. They're starved of fertilizer. They can't produce crops. And again, a lot of this is related to ESG, and this is the cover of The Economist right now. Boom time in the Gulf. They're making a lot of money, even though the price of oil has dropped. Because why? They've been promoting ESG. And here's some more pictures I've picked up of uh, architectural concepts of uh, Mohammed bin Salman's project that they want to have done, at least in the first big phase. By uh, When do you think they want to have it done by? 2030. Okay, this is the area, and this is... South of that Neon Mountain is what a lot of people think is the real Mount Sinai, Jebel al-Az. Uh, you can look it up on Google Maps. They have big plans. It's also interesting that the first phase is to build a city, the first part of this, for a million people. How many people did Rome have when it ruled the world, the known world? A million people. I'm not sure what Babylon had when it ruled or Nineveh, but I'm going to guess it was somewhere in that range. It seems to be kind of like the nice number to round off to if you want to. And here's a picture. This is what uh, 
the interior of Neom Lights. Of course, they're rowing, you know, 1,500-foot high walls, 1,500-foot high walls. They have golf courses in there. It's actually pretty cool. I would, I would probably go visit. But uh, Here's an election. I'm going to play you a clip. You've got to listen to this clip. I'm way behind. So I'm going to summarize my Middle East stuff and UN and all this. So I'll do a little bit on nuclear war. <laughs> I'll get you the good news. And then we'll do a little bit about the UN nonsense that went on this week. But there's elections going on. Sweden has probably enacted a right-leaning government. People are upset with this. Uh, Italy is electing today. They may elect, elect Georgia uh, Maloney uh, as she... And, of course, she's right-wing. She leans to the right. So what, are they, what is she now? She's a neo-fascist or a fascist. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play you a clip of hers at the 13th World Congress of Families that she spoke at. You'll have to read the subtitles. And it's about five minutes long. And I, I will say, it's in Italian, so you've got to read the subtitles. But I love the Italian language because you can kind of tell what she's saying even though you don't understand the language. So it's a great language, especially if you're passionate about something. And she's passionate. So what is the Southern Poverty Law Center? The World, Family of Con the World Congress of Families is a hate group. Why? Because they oppose our various sexual agendas. So, uh, so the, she looks like she's going to come to be the next uh, first prime minister, female prime minister of Italy. Uh, this is from the Financial Times. She may lead Italy, and Europe is worried. Yep, they're, they're upset about this. Um, the far right in Europe, you know. Uh, this is from the, this morning's Libero a newspaper from Italy. Uh, elections today. And she'll lead a coalition government. It's parliamentarian. So here she is at the, uh, three years ago. Stavo stirando. Poi ho trovato 10 minuti. Ci hanno detto di tutto per questo congresso. Hanno detto che siamo retrogradi, che siamo sfigati, che siamo impresentabili, che siamo oscurantisti, che è uno scandalo, che c'è qualcuno che voglia difendere una famiglia naturale fondata sul matrimonio, che voglia incentivare la natalità, che voglia dare il giusto valore alla vita umana, che voglia sostenere la libertà educativa, che voglia dire no all'ideologia gender. Rispedisco a una a una al mittente queste accuse. Io penso... Penso che il retrogrado sia l'intenta di riportare la censura in Italia facendo in modo che un appuntamento come questo like non possa celebrarsi. Io penso che oscurantista sia uno Stato che dopo aver patrocinato in questi anni qualunque cosa, comprese le mostre even exhibitions featuring a crucifix immersed in a beaker of pee shame sponsoring event like this. I say Io 
I say the losers are those with nothing better to do than come here and insult us. While we talk about what we can do for the Italian family, but above all I say, the embarrassing ones are not us. The embarrassing ones are those who support practices, like room for rent abortion at nine months, and blocking the development of children with drugs at 11 years of age. That is embarrassing. They said all sorts of things about this Congress. They said all sorts of things about this Congress. That we want to limit the freedom of women. That we want them at home doing the ironing. Can you see me at home doing the ironing? Do you think I, the only female party secretary in Italy, who was a candidate for mayor of Rome while pregnant, for which I was criticized, do you think I want women to be changed to goodness knows where? It's exactly the opposite. We want the guarantee rights today that today women exist, the right of a woman to be a mother and not to have to give up working as a result. The right to be a mother, choose not to work, and not starve to death as a result. The right of a woman to force to have an abortion because she has no alternatives to have that alternative? Because it's not true that a woman's freedom to choose is guaranteed. If a woman only has the option to abort, that isn't the freedom to choose. The freedom to choose means having a choice. You can look this up on YouTube. Georgia, G-I-O-R-G-I-N, G-I-A, Maloney, M-E-L-O-N-I, just Google her name, Congress of Families. And she says, if we don't address this now, it's terrible. We have an Erasmus program for student mobility. If, if it has a Horizon program for science, it can have a program for families to increase the birth rate, to invest resources in the birth rate. But they think everything we propose is crazy. They think it's unenlightened that we want to take away rights, the Middle Ages. You know, the Middle Ages was also the time of the cathedrals and the abbeys. The founding of the Cluny, the universities, the parliament, the epic of Dante, Petrarch, Boccaccio, St. Francis, St. Benedict. She goes on and on. You understand, and so here's, here's what... Uh, Ursula van der Leyen said, boy, I, I hope they don't elect this lady. She's a very powerful speaker, I think. I don't even know, you know, I don't understand Italian, but you know what she's talking about. We'll see. If things uh, go in a difficult direction, I've spoken about Hungary and Poland, we have tools. If things go in the right direction, and people as a body that is always, um, where always governments have to be accountable to, play an important role. So that's the head of the EU. So what's she, what's she doing? She's threatening Italy. We're coming after, we've come after Hungary. We're maybe going after Poland. And if you elect this lady, we're going to come after you. And who does she really work for? 
We must nurture our democracy. And this is what she said back in January of 2021 in the midst of a big problem. We must nurture our democracy and defend our institutions against the corrosive power of hate speech, disinformation, fake news, and incitement to violence. You see the theme that they have. They're all working against this. Big digital companies have to take responsibility for the way they disseminate, promote, and remove content. This is her own Twitter feed. And what's the hashtag she used? Hashtag Davos Agenda. And puts pictures of her speaking at the World Economic Forum. Not making it up. Okay. Here's a how the congressional election may pan out, play out in November. This is from this morning's New York Times. They also have a, a headline here in the, in the Times that talks about um, EPA creates office to make racial equality a bigger part of environmental rules. We need that. We really need that. And, of course, there's a big push to get election integrity on the conservative side. And so how does the New York Times view this? This is their lead editorial today in this morning's New York Times. This threat to democracy is hiding a plain sight. People actually want to go and work for the election board. They will always accuse you of doing what they actually do. Always remember that. That's like, it ought to be in the top three rules of life. If their lips are moving, they're lying. So this continues to be a problem. Um, Israel's negotiating away maybe rights to this gas field under their caretaker government. And the problem is, you know, that they're changing the demarcation lines. Uh, Some people are upset. I was reading Caroline Glick's uh, feed. Amos Hochstein is there. Here's an article from Israel Israel Hayom. Israel Today says, the team managing the talks at the maritime border with Lebanon is examine the possibility of bringing the agreement to secret approval by the cabinet before it is presented to the public. They're negotiating with Lebanon. When you negotiate with Lebanon, who are you negotiating with? Hezbollah. When you negotiate with Hezbollah to give them money from this Israel's resource of gas, who does it go to? It goes to Iran. This is, this is insanity. So let me just talk about this real quickly. So there's been a big offensive in, by Ukrainians in uh, Ukraine. Uh, they've taken back a lot of territory. But if you look, the, the area that they've moved into, there's Russians to the north, Russians to the south, which could be a pincher move. I don't know what's going to happen, Okay. While this is going on, Putin and Xi have, uh, the world order has changed since this Lebanon invasion. Uh, aside from the, its relations with China, the Kremlin has sought to strengthen ties with dictatorships in Iran, Myanmar, and North Korea since the start of the war. Now, they say that North Korea is maybe supplying it. I, I don't know. They say that that's not true. They had this big meeting in um, Uzbekistan where they met to discuss this. Um, 
And Putin acknowledged that you know maybe not everybody's on board with our agenda. We appreciate our Chinese friends' balanced position in connection with the Ukraine crisis. We understand your questions and your concerns in this regard. In the face of ongoing formidable challenges that have never been seen in history, this is Putin speaking. We are ready to work with our Russian. Oh no, this is Z speaking. I'm sorry. A Russian colleague has set an example of what a responsible global power is that assumed leadership in order to bring rapidly changing world order onto a path of sustainable and positive development. So in connection with this, and so here's some more maps from the New York Times and Russia. They've, they're calling up people. There's still issue with getting the grain out. And everybody says, Putin's under pressure. It's not going good. But this is what a lot of Ukraine looks like. This is a bridge that they bombed, Russia bombed. And Ukraine could be obliterated. Um, Medved came out and said, hey, it could be Third World War. Here's a website. This is Alexander Dugan, who some say is a um, sort of philosophical uh, philosopher that Putin listens to. Some say not. I'm just saying, but what I'm looking at what Dugan says, Dugan is very pro-Russian, very pro-Russian Orthodox. He thinks the West is totally decadent and needs to be destroyed. <laughs> um, on the brink of World War III. So this came up at the SCO meeting where they had Raisi, Erdogan, uh, Iran's brought in as a full member of the Shanghai Cooperative Organization. There are rumors, by the way, today that Xi has been deposed in a coup in China. I don't know if those are true. I'm just saying there was a lot of social media buzz about that. I've not been able to confirm anything. Putin started a call-up. This is a picture of the uh, an airport in Russia where military-aged men, men are trying to get out of the country. Uh, Finland's reported a huge number of people coming across the border. Uh, he's activated the reservist. He's made a nuclear threat. Um, here's uh, Al Akbar newspaper. Looking at it, here's an editorial cartoon that I, I forget where I saw this. Financial Times. I mean, this is, this is serious stuff that's going on. Uh, Wall Street Journal yesterday, they're going to have an annexation vote in the Donetsk and Luhansk regions of Russia, of, of Ukraine. And so Putin is saying, listen, you know, so here's, this is a tweet from uh, the Institute for Study of War, understandingwar.org, uh, with some of the maps that they've put together about what's happening. And you can kind of see that maybe Ukraine's getting itself into a trap. Maybe not. Uh, I... I, I would be concerned about it because um, they pushed into this region here, and they're going to be they're sort of surrounded to the north and west. So here's uh, Ukrainian soldiers. Here's uh, Putin, um, who got on, and he said, "Listen, you know, we'll defend ourselves, and, we're, and they're going to change the Soviet doctrine on the use of nuclear weapons. It used to be that." They would only do it if they thought it was an existential threat, and now they're essentially saying, um, we're going to do this if we think there's an attack on our territory. So 
Uh, here's one opinion. Here's Jordan Peterson, smart guy. He was on Piers Morgan the other day talking about this. And Putin goes, hey, we've got nuclear weapons. More modern than those of the NATO countries. And if the territorial integrity of our country is threatened, they'll have new territory. Maybe after the uh, referendum takes place over the next few days, we're going to protect Russia and our people. It's not a bluff. So, that's interesting. Here's Jordan Peterson. Listen, I could give you opinions on both sides, but Jordan Peterson is a smart guy, and here's what he says, and I kind of agree with this. Like, what happens? Should the Ukrainians give the Russians anything? When I was over there recently interviewing President Zelensky, what I was struck by was everybody I met in Kiev, the capital city, were utterly resolute. Don't give them an inch of our land. Yeah, well, I don't, I can't speak to that because I don't know what the preconditions for peace might be. But I do know that naive notions that the Russians are going to lose somehow, or that we're going to win, I, I don't, I just don't understand, I don't understand that. Well, what do you mean we're going to win? What are we going to win here exactly? Well, I guess a victory would be that the Russians retreated from Ukraine. With, with Ukrainian runes. Right. Well, that would be okay, fine, that's a hell of a victory. Like, I think Putin could manage that, because I think he could tell his people, and I think they might buy it. It's like, we accomplished our objective, we devastated Ukraine, and we kept it out of the hands of the West. And that's not great, it's not what we hoped for, but it's better than the alternative, and I think they would buy that. And I think, when, when Putin went into Ukraine, I thought... Well, I thought a bunch of things, which I, I made a YouTube video about that. People criticized like Matt. I thought, okay, well, what's happening here? Oh, I see. His, his end game for failure is that, that Ukraine is left in a smoking room. Mm. Oh, that's a victory. So then he can lose with impunity. Right. So how can we win? We can't win against Vladimir Putin anyways, because you cannot win against someone you cannot say no to. Period. And we can't say no to Putin because we sold our soul for his oil and gas. And we did that to elevate our moral stature in relationship to saving the planet. And so here we are, yeah. facing a very dire winter, hoisted on the petard of our own foolishness and moral presumption. We're saving the planet. We'll see. I don't think so. Well, interesting uh, comments. And so... Back to Alexander Dugan's blog, um, if you, um, whoops, went the wrong way here. Sorry about that. So if you could uh, move back out on that, on the brink of World War III, and then he came out the other day with another blog post, Putin's fateful speech is being prepared, three scenarios. And the scenarios are, well, Russia will cease to exist. Russia will have a great victory. In the third scenario, he describes as the end of history and the total destruction of humanity. Now, he's not an off... You know, I suppose you could say he's a little strange, but listen, my friends. When, when influential people are talking in these terms... You know, we ought to be reading the prophetic scriptures and, and paying attention to what's going on. I don't know what's going to happen. Not a prophet. 
But we live at a very unique time, and there are people saying, well, Putin's going to fall from power. Uh, Russia in spotlight as the world sees a path to peace. And at the same time this is going on, they're having protests in Tehran. This is a, a tweet from Caroline Glick today. The Speaker of the Iranian Parliament says that the people are united in the revolt to overthrow the regime. The Speaker is a former presidential candidate, a master of murders, and a senior commander of the Revolutionary Guards. He is scared. And so there's, there's protests going on. They're organizing these people. You know, you've got seven or eight nations involved in this Shanghai cooperative organization. They're trying to bring Turkey in. Turkey's seeking membership. Here's a map of what the Shanghai Cooperative uh, Organization looks like. What is going on? Here we go. Tehran Times called it the anti-evil axis. They're using Iranian drones in Ukraine. Here's a Wall Street Journal article. Russia expanded its use of Ukrainian drones. There's one flying over Odessa yesterday. Here's a video that I sort of made up from the uh, Iranian things about these are the drones. And you're seeing these drones. This is where they did a thing on Demona. And then this is how their drone array looks. These are, they're called kamikaze drones. And you can find videos on Telegram and elsewhere about them. And they just fly and bang into places. And guess what? Ukrainians don't have a defense against this. And Iran's using this because what's their ultimate goal? To use these against, well, there's a video of what they think they're going to do to Demona reactor in Israel, in the Negev. They're going to blow it up with kamikaze drones. Hezbollah has thousands and thousands of rockets, tens of thousands. And here's a Ukrainian drone that was uh, found in there. So listen, um, I'll include more in the... Middle East, including a speech that Danny Gantz gave at the Jerusalem Post Conference. I will do it midweek this week. Look for it about Wednesday. Um, again, remember that I've, Tom Hughes and I are going to interview General Avivi and maybe talk to him about some of these Middle East issues involving Israel's security. So listen, it's a very unique time that we live in, and uh, we're out of time for this morning. So uh, understand the religious nature of, this is a mosque in Jamkara, Iran. It's the biggest religious pilgrimage in the world. It's bigger than the Hajj in Mecca. They get like 10, 20, 30 million people come to this thing. And they're there. This is going on at the time. And, but there are protests because a lady died. The morality police got her. Um... Here's protests in Tehran. They've shut down uh, different uh, medias. This is Tehran. People marching against the mullahs. Everything is in play right now, is what I'm trying to say. So, um, and then we still have elections coming up in Israel. And here, over the next 45 days, I'll close with this. This is a speech that Raizi gave, where he was interviewed on 60 Minutes. So he went to the U.N., so we're misunderstood. So here's what he said, though. Here is 60 Minutes. Do you believe the Holocaust happened? That six million Jews were slaughtered? That's this week. I mean, the 
Look, historical events should be investigated by researchers and historians. There are some signs that it happened. If so, they should allow it to be investigated and researched. So you're not sure. I'm getting that. You're not sure. What about Israel's right to exist? You see, the people of Palestine are the reality. This is the right of the people of Palestine who are forced to leave their houses and motherland. The Americans are supporting this false regime there to take root and be established there. That guy is a stone-cold murderer. When he got up to speak, the Israeli ambassador to the UN, he spoke at the UN, I'll talk about a speech in my midweek update, but I want to recognize the bravery of the Israeli ambassador to the UN because as Raisi was speaking, this son of Holocaust survivors got up with a picture of his grandparents and walked out. Good for him. Folks, we live in a very evil time, a dark time. But remember, when it's dark, the light that we have is more effective than ever. Remember that. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you all help us to keep in mind um, the fact that we do have the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the protection of the armor of God. Lord, pray that you will help us to be to, as it says in Romans, to stand firm in the faith and act like men in an evil time and stand for the truth in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fact that Jesus has the answer and will come back and set all of this right. We look forward to that day. Lord, bless us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.